the Culinary Saijiki Podcast. My name is Allison Whipple, and twice a month I'll bring you a conversation with a fellow haiku practitioner about the way that food and the seasons show up in their haiku practice. Visit www.culinarysaijiki.com to listen to the podcast, read long-form essays on these topics, and sign up to join the podcast conversation. You can also support the project at buymeacoffee.com slash culinarysaijiki. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to episode five of the Culinary Saijiki podcast. My guest today is Lorraine Padden. But before that, my usual housekeeping announcements. Uh, Over on the blog uh, last week, I did a long post on food kigo related to the American Southwest. Uh, That was a pretty involved, I thought it was going to be a really easy essay to write, and uh, it was really challenging, but I had a lot of fun. And I would love to do more region-specific food kigo, not just from the United States, but from all over the world. So if there's an area uh, that's your specialty and you'd be interested in doing a guest post, uh, please reach out. I would love to talk that over more. Remember that uh, August 30th, uh, we have a bonus episode. It's a community open mic, and the deadline to send haiku for that, you're going to send an audio file. Uh, That deadline is August 28th at 11.59 p.m. Central Time. You'll do that with an audio link, and that link uh, will be in the show notes along with the rest of the guidelines. Um, But basically, uh, one to two haiku There is a food uh, connection uh, related to autumn, and uh, please say your name or pen name, either is fine, and if you're comfortable, where you are writing from. Thanks also to our uh, most recent anonymous donor who bought uh, three coffees. Uh, I know who you are, um, but I know you prefer to remain anonymous, but uh, just so you know, uh, I was super grateful for that. You can uh, also uh, support financially all of you listeners by going to buymeacoffee.com slash culinarysaijiki. And, you know, if you don't have uh, the funds, you can also support the podcast just by sharing episodes you like. Uh, That would, honestly, uh, spreading the word, word of mouth, that's always a great feeling. I love to know when episodes resonate. All right, in podcast news, this uh, talk with Lorraine was my first long distance, well, it was my second long distance recording, but since Lorraine had uh, scheduled with me first, I uh, put this podcast uh, first, but this was one of two uh, initial um, uh, online recordings I did. I actually went with Zencaster, gave that a try and was a big fan, so if you are a an aspiring podcaster looking to have internet conversations or you're just not thrilled with Zoom, uh, I would say give Zencaster a shot. I'm pretty pleased with it. We also finally have a set theme song after, you know, (laughs) several weeks of uh, trying things and it not working out. Uh, The song is uh, a public domain recording by Django Reinhardt uh, called Jatendrai. My French is terrible. Um, But it was recorded at the Cleveland Music Hall in 1939. Um, And... For those of you who didn't know, I did grow up in Cleveland, and I'd always wanted something um, 
that when I was looking for other music, I wanted something that sounded like Django Reinhardt, and I'm happy to just uh, have found a uh, good quality recording of his to use. Uh, his music reminds me of my musician grandfather, um, and that all connects to food for me as well. Um, so thanks to my partner John for helping me uh, wade through the uh, confusing uh, labyrinth that is uh, public domain music and all of this stuff out there to help me find something I liked because that was overwhelming. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, I had a wonderful time talking to Lorraine a couple of Saturdays ago. Um, I really have been admiring her work for a while. I know I said that at the uh, end of the previous episode, um, but I've, I've seen her stuff in various uh, online and uh, print haiku publications, uh, and so I was so excited when she was the first person who uh, was not a uh, person I'd already met who wanted to be on the show. So I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I enjoyed recording it. All right. We are rolling. Lorraine Patton is a Haiku Foundation Touchstone Award-nominated poet whose work appears in Modern Haiku, The Heron's Nest, Tiny Words, and Frog Pond, among other notable journals. She won Tricycle Magazine's 2021 Best of the Haiku Challenge and received an honorable mention in the 2021 Annual Haiku Society of America Renge Competition. Ms. Patton's 2022 awards include honorable mentions in the International Modern Higo Competition and a Pine Song Award for her winning haiku in the North Carolina Poetry Society's Bloodroot Haiku Competition. Her first poetry collection will be published by Red Moon Press this summer, and that is called Upwelling. And you can find more at LorrainePatton.com, which will, of course, be in the show notes. Welcome, Lorraine. Thank you so much, Allison. It's just a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here as well. So do you want to just launch into your first two haiku? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Julienne Carrots, how French translations upgrade our expectations. Julienne Carrots, how French translations upgrade our expectations. And the second one, charcuterie chess, the prosciutto checkmate. Charcuterie chess, the prosciutto checkmate. Thank you. And when I'm grouping haiku together, I always, um, I group them in, in, in ways that they make sense to me and they wouldn't necessarily uh, make sense to anyone else. But I grouped these two because they are, although written in English, uh, they both incorporate uh, non-English words. And I just, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, well, they go together. That's because again, that's the way my brain works. Um, um, that totally works. Yeah. <laughs> I really responded to the, the uh, Julian Carrots one because um, my partner's sister is a trained pastry chef, and um, which isn't quite the same as cutting carrots, but um, just the, I've, one of the things that I've really gotten clued into is how much of the culinary language that we use in English really is actually just from the French. And we just have all of these basically loan words um, in English that really are, are French. And that's sort of the way so much of our language for at least uh, cooking, um, which is fascinating to me. So I was uh, interested in um, these in particular because of, of the, um, the way you bring language in and, and how does the language of cooking or the language of um, 
food in particular, how do you feel that really shows up in your poetry? Oh, what a great question. Uh, with, with these two, uh, perhaps the first one, Julian Carrots, I, I remember watching and reading about Julia Child and how uh, sort of her spin on cooking really influenced uh, American cuisine and American cooking styles. Uh, and um, uh, for the second, I lived in Italy for a time and prosciutto <laughs> is just one of those, mm-hmm. one of those, one of those ingredients that for me, it's sort of this, the charcuterie chess, it's this play between, well, which is the, 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 the better, tastier, more interesting um, sausage there. Um, but it's sort of the, the, the broader lens through which I view food is about usually about um, how it relates to humans, the gathering around a table to to share a meal, the relationships we have with, with each other that are then mir- mirrored somehow in, in, in the food itself. Um, and I find myself really drawn to, I'm not sure if it's personification or anthropomorphic most anthropomorphic shifting of uh, food into more of an active agent in, in the haiku or perhaps the, the senryu itself. So, And that's, that's sending me down this, um, as, like this sort of associative path of thinking about prosciutto in general. And so my mom's family is all Italian, but at the same time, like, you know, we lived in Ohio in the suburbs um, where just, you know, a lot of, um, really traditional historical ingredients weren't available. So, right. uh, spaghetti carbonara is like my, one of my most favorite foods in the world. And I was, I was in my twenties before I realized that it's not made with bacon. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's just what was that's. And you know, that there's so much of, of food culture that is you make do with what's around, but no, it's not bacon. It's not ham. It's <laughs> yeah. um, uh, ideally it's guanciale, but that's really hard to get. So you know, it's just sort of like prosciutto is, is the default. Um, and so, how much of um, I was actually sort of I, I recorded uh, with someone else uh, yesterday evening, and we were talking about how in these short poems, like you can get something out of them, but sometimes to to like you can there are deeper layers, but those rest on shared, uh, shared understanding of things that not everyone can have. And, and I'm oh, sort of thinking about like the different kinds of cured meats are like a shared understanding that not everyone can have. Like, even if you're, even if, uh, your family's Italian, you might, you might get to your twenties and not have ever known what prosciutto yeah. was. I did not know really until college. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's um, it it is fascinating to me the way that ingredients are, um, they are so specific and and yet in many ways they can they can be, um, really unknowable um, to to people. Yes, they yeah. can be mysterious. They can have their own agency. They can, they can play a role in in the poem that's very proactive and 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 not just a garnish, if you will. Pardon that. <laughs> Pardon that fun, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I find a lot, a, a lot of, um, as I said, a lot of really human characteristics show up in in some of my work that I write around food. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Eating is a, a pretty universal experience. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. And really, I hadn't really explored it much, um, except in the last uh, couple of years, I dip in and out of um, uh, an online uh, community led by Clark Strand, who writes and teaches a lot of 575 yeah. poetry. And so the Julian Carrots poem was is a 575. And usually what I do is I, I, I take a very both end approach to haiku. I, I write a lot in both the strict syllable structure, the more traditional format, format, and much more informally as 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 well, and one kind of feeds the other uh, that I, I found, um, and so the carrots was a a, a challenge word or a prompt. Mm-hmm. So from there, uh, some of these other poems also came out of this similar um, prompt situations. But I hadn't really thought of food as being this genre that could that could really fuel an interesting interesting content and and material for haiku expression. So I think it's just fabulous. I didn't even realize that that was um, the Julian carrots was a five, seven, five. I just didn't, um, it was, it was so, it just felt so right the way it was that (laughs) like a lot lot of what I write, I then distill down Mm -hmm. uh, to, to something a little more succinct to take out the prepositions and the articles and things. And, um, I find that those poems more readily get picked up by journals than the 575. Although my Nietzsche newspaper in Japan, Asahi Shimbo's network, there are journals out there in other parts of the world that millions of people read on a daily basis and they all have traditional haiku in them. So yeah. it's a really interesting um, both and situation, I think. Yeah, no, I like it. I like thinking of it as a both and because I'm certainly... Um, I'm certainly not opposed to 575. Um, uh, I think the one thing I, who was it? Um, oh, Stanford Forrester on the uh, Kerouac episode workshop for Haiku P said, you know, if you can write a 575 and it feels completely, I'm, I'm butchering what he said. Um, if you can write a 575 that feels, you know, completely natural, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It usually feels a little freighted with some extra bits just trying to make a syllable count yeah um and so that's a that's a thing i and i used to do five seven five all the time i mean that's how that, that's how so many of us were taught right exactly exactly um, and but it's it's gotten to a point as i've worked with other people that like um again always always in favor of it i certainly still write them but i feel like i can really hear it when it's like mm, we gotta cram this extra syllable in to make it work yeah exactly <laughs> Um, to me, that actually didn't create any distance. Um, again, I pictured something that is not the real scenario necessarily, right. um, but you know, maybe it's not too far off. When I read it, I pictured um, a sister or a cousin or a close friend, and the the speaker of the poem observing observing it, maybe observing it from a distance, but still observing it in some sort of quasi intimate way. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Who, who thought that writing in three tiny lines could just uh, <laughs> bring up so many, oh uh, so many concerns? So true. So very true. <laughs> um, I will, since this, since this is a, about food, and I, I always like to ask uh, sort of funny questions, what is your favorite um, dip for celery? Oh, gosh, probably like a really yummy ranch dressing or maybe like <laughs> sour cream and oniony thing. Um, yeah. Definitely. If I feel like I can't quite uh, justify the potato chips and the sour cream and onion, which is my true favorite, I'll say, oh, well, I'm being a little healthy and I'm going to use celery instead. So 
Oh, chips and a, a French onion dip is my it is my greatest weakness. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it, it too, I, I love I also I love ranch and like being a Midwesterner like we you know or we are known for loving ranch but like um, it's so interesting to me that that is marketed as a salad dressing so I'm, to me I'm like that's not a salad dressing that is a that is a dip that is, <laughs> that, that, that is a spoonful situation for me for sure yeah. <laughs> and, and to me there's a fundamental difference between a, a dressing and a dip although I also I grew up with a um, what was it Miracle Whip salad dressing and I, as a child I was always like Absolutely. What what is this? We had a we had my mother we had a a bar a solid bar of Velveeta cheese in the refrigerator <laughs> all the time. And of course, my mother and father were sort of World War II generation. So at, at that time, you, you you bought it in a wooden box, and I think mm-hmm. that was, we used to get it in cardboard. But that's how it started. And that thing would just be in there for months. Mm-hmm. She'd cut some off it and melt it, and we'd have it over broccoli or or just cut into into pieces or stirred into eggs what what have you but it was like this one of the prime staples in the in the refrigerator i remember my grandmother would always talk about um oleo something i have personally never witnessed but how it was like this gray block and you had to mix the colored powder in yes i've heard of that as well i cannot imagine yeah to make it seem kind of like fake margarine stuff yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitions of salad dressing, because to me, seven salad dressing was like seven C's bottled Italian dressing. Absolutely. Or it was the vinaigrette that my grandfather would come over and it wasn't even a vinaigrette. He would just toss some things I, oh. to me. I, this is how I remember it is he didn't even taste anything. He just made a red wine vinaigrette that as a six year old, I didn't love, but I ate because, you know, <laughs> you eat it. <laughs> exactly. And now, of course, I'm like, oh, I would kill to be able to have my grandfather come and dress a salad again. I know. Yeah. But (laughs) all right. Uh, Do you want to read three and four? Wait, we're on uh, part three. Okay. Uh, Sweating the onions, first date. Sweating the onions, first date. That's a a one liner. Uh, And then there's his dark orange cologne, a pumpkin in the oven. His dark orange cologne, a pumpkin in the oven. Um, and so for the first one, I was thinking, gosh, if you're sweating and you're nervous and you had onions for lunch, you're at a date later. Oh my goodness. That could be, that, that would be something that would cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I think onions do kind of, if you cut them or you chop them and leave them, they do, they do leak a little liquid. They do sweat a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what was going on there. And the, for the other one, dark orange cologne, I was trying to do something with the, maybe a little bit of synesthesia, the, the scent, maybe making that also a person as well as the pumpkin in the oven or the dark orange color also having a fragrance, um, that sort of thing. Uh, the, the sweating onions one, I, again, I took a, a slightly different, um, interpretation of it and i think this brings me back to one of the things that i love so much about haiku and this is true with all poetry is the reader is always going to bring their own experience but for sure um, especially with haiku being so brief and in the moment that moment can just relate to something so incredibly personal um mm-hmm. but so this wasn't a this was not a first date um my partner had i've been seeing each other for almost a year um and um but we'd, we'd mostly hung out at his, like, and I'd never, we'd been together for almost a year. I hadn't, like, 
cooked anything for him. Um, I can cook. I just, you know, <laughs> didn't. Um, and I was like, you should come over uh, for a nice dinner. I'll cook us a nice dinner. And I, uh, knowing that French onion soup was his favorite soup, decided to make it not ever having made it before. <laughs> oh, that's very courageous. I love that. Uh, and uh, have you ever made French onion soup from scratch? No, I have not. <laughs> you are you are slow cooking onions for a while. Wow. Like on very low heat mm-hmm. uh, for, I don't know, two hours. I don't know how much it is. It's something like two hours. Wow. Um, and my I had a, a housemate at the time and he came in and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm making French onion soup for John. And he goes, what, is it his birthday or something? And then that's when I was like, oh, I, I picked a, I made a weird choice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How did it come out? Uh, edible, but not memorable. Uh, oh. But I have, I have since then upped my uh, French onion soup game. I only make it about once a year because it is, yeah. it's it, kind of a project. Yes, it is. Um, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I even, awesome. I didn't even know you were supposed to, you know, melt Gruyere, uh, on it. And so I, I had a special order, um, oven safe bowls from Amazon prime now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Dinner. Yeah. Uh, so the second I saw that poem, even though it was not about a first date, I, I'm like, Oh, I know, I know this person, this person has, is trying to impress someone and has oh. taken on a task that they cannot hope to live up to <laughs> that is awesome good for you for trying it i'm i'm very intimidated by onions myself um french, it's actually like now french onion soup after i did it the first time and it was and i it turned out edible uh since it's at you know if you if you have a whole afternoon to sit there and poke at onions on a very low heat right on a stove it's actually not that hard <laughs> <laughs> it just just like, like many great french things it takes time and assumes you have servants to cook for you. There you go. Yeah. There's this wonderful photo of Julia Child taken from the side during the taping of one of her shows where you saw the the side of the um, counter and she's standing there and she'd be looking across the counter to the camera and behind her, there's a stove and there are at least eight different people on the ground, kneeling around her behind the counter that you can't see from the front. <laughs> wow. From the side view, you see all these people crouching there, holding a bowl or getting ready to hand or something else so that she could you know, seamlessly weave this wonderful dish together, whatever she was making. I thought that was just so interesting, literally to see you know, how the sausage is made or not. Yeah. And to see exactly her, her sort of cadre of helpers that uh, were indispensable, I can I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and that second one, I I I did. Um, I picked up on the synesthetic aspect of it, um, um, of the orange as a color versus orange as a smell, um, mm-hmm. and then also thinking of like, if you are baking pumpkin for some reason, um, um, the smell or baking. I really am more, more thought of baking the pumpkin seeds, just because again, that's what I'm more familiar with. Um, but the whole thing just like it felt like fall. The whole thing. Mm, felt like fall. Yeah, and I was also thinking as the pumpkin heats up, maybe something else will heat up with this person with the with the orange cologne too. Absolutely. The time in the in the warm kitchen, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, no, that, I grouped these together because one was to me. It was like, oh, this is the comical side of <laughs> of human interaction, and then this one's the more sensual side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be. 
All right. Uh, would you like to read uh, the last two? Last two, sure. Wild mushrooms, the underworld in my kitchen. Wild mushrooms, the underworld in my kitchen. Thanksgiving dinner, everyone gets to pick a bone. <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner, everyone gets to pick a bone. That last one is my favorite food poem that I have written to date. <laughs> I, I think it resonates with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My sister and I used to fight over the wishbone. Um, and I think that's probably what, what, uh, what inspired it. But, but clearly it's, again, it's like this relationship around food, mm -hmm. the people involved and the situation that um, lends, lends itself to a little bit of humor, but also, you know, what, yeah. what so many of us, probably experience during holiday dinners oh, in yeah. one way or another. In one way or another. Yeah. I, I'm curious, are you a mushroom forager? No, I'm not. I live in San Diego. Not really the climate or the no. place to do that. But uh, I grew up in New England and of course they were everywhere. And yeah. I I think I was probably a little spooked in trying because I would have you know these this, this fear of finding something poisonous and not being able to tell what it was. But mm -hmm. lots of friends who routinely um, forage and come up with great stuff and make these incredible meals with them. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's my partner has done some light foraging. Um, they have a, his family has a cabin in Illinois and there's a, a stand of porcinis and a stand of chicken in the wood woods. Gosh, that's fabulous. And that's uh, chicken of the woods is definitely, you can, that is absolutely, you're like, yep, that is what that is. Yep. That is edible. It's great. I, it's delicious. It actually, it doesn't taste like chicken, but when prepared right, it could actually pass for um, seafood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 It's like kind of like meaty, substantive. Yeah. It's really meat. He actually, um, the first time he found one, it was uh, literally this, like the size of a dinner plate. And he actually, he chicken fried it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a chicken fried mushroom. Yeah. So cool. Uh, Portini's also pretty easy to tell. Morel's pretty easy to tell. So you know, I would encourage people, you know, be careful, but also at least like the big three. Yeah, you're pretty, 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 pretty good. Easy. Pretty easy. Yeah. 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 Um, but always, you know, double check. Uh, my last fall in Austin, a friend of mine had, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the one edible mushroom that grows in Texas. Um, and a bunch of them had come up in a stump in her yard. Wow. Um, and she just let us, she's like, she's like, just let us harvest them. And we did, um, we did a spore test just to, you know, just to make sure. sure. Yeah. Um, but, oh man, it made a, it made a really good soup. So um, oh, fabulous. Yeah. 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 There, there's something so much more enjoyable about your own stuff whether you forage for it or you grow it yourself it's again is that that relationship of not only the food itself but how it came to be on your plate how it came to be on yeah. your table that really makes yeah. makes such a such a difference yeah and it, it makes me also it really makes me think about how you know mushrooms i mean again mushrooms often get maligned um, but also just like how many people just didn't like in the United States or at least where I was growing up, didn't understand how to work with mushrooms well. 
Right. Like, I grew up with plain white raw button mushrooms in a salad as a kid. And I'm like, this exactly. is or, or, or in, we would get them in cans as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we would, uh, my mom, if we had a steak or something, my mom would just dump the can into a pan and brown them. But yeah. we often didn't even start with the fresh mushrooms because it was just so much easier and less expensive to just buy yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for years, I thought mushrooms were disgusting. And then, you know, it turns out you're really not, you shouldn't really be eating them raw in the first place. Like a, a white button mushroom is not going to kill you if you eat it raw, but. Right. But yeah, the, the window of fresh mushroom is, is pretty, pretty yeah. narrow, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and it's funny that I, I, this poem underwent so many different versions because I, 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 I was working with sort of the underground railroad metaphor. Uh, mm. for a while of you know this this because they had these networks these mycelial networks are mm. everywhere and the, these fungi are just so interconnected mm. so I'm trying to play with that but eventually i just said okay it's underworld because some of them are really deadly and maybe they're scary and let's just see how that mm. might how that might work in my kitchen so yeah. <laughs> um but it, it also makes me think of the the persephone myth mm. um, even though it's a pomegranate right um, but it's okay. So the underworld is, you know, it's grim and not awesome. And yet also, but you know, Persephone's, you know, there, like this beautiful person is still in the underworld and spring is going to come again. Um, so I, I actually thought you were invoking that myth, um, in a, in a different way. Oh no, that's, that's, that's great though. Yeah. Yeah. Like this promise, this, this endurance, this return, right? Yeah. And yeah. This, uh, Persevere. And, and they, you know, once the mycelium gets established, um, unless there's some sort of disaster that destroys it, I mean, they'll keep coming back. And, you know, some years they won't be like, we have not had a good cache of mushrooms this year because it's been so dry. Mm -hmm. um, but now we did just have a week of torrential rain. So probably if we went out there next weekend, it, we'd just be like flush with mushrooms. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, if it's dry, they won't necessarily like come back. Um, and like as full as they might, but that doesn't mean they're gone or dead. Okay, um, dormant, yeah. just waiting for the right condition. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. So what's your favorite uh, dish at Thanksgiving dinner? Oh my gosh. Probably the turkey and the gravy and the stuffing, like the, mm -hmm. that trio. Yeah. Or yeah. the, definitely. And then of course you have to have the cranberries with it for that sort of salty sweet combo. But uh, yeah. And that, that's all I could, I could cut bait on all the vegetables. Don't need anything green on that plate for me. <laughs> uh, I am, I am a sides person. Oh, um, awesome. I am really like turkey is great as leftovers, but if you, I could, I could just fill a plate with sides two or three times and be totally content. Um, yeah. They're usually just like fantastic too. A yeah. lot of people just pull out all the stops and they do sides that have 18 ingredients, yeah. you know, um, and they're fabulous. And because it's, again, it's that, it's that one occasion perhaps in the year where it's okay, let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's put in those hours, like for that French onion soup or, or for these beautiful, delicious sides that just complement the whole yeah. meal. It's this uh, my partner will, and he does this out of a concession to me. Um, he will make a uh, green bean casserole completely from scratch, including the soup base. That is awesome. And it, it is, it is so delicious. <laughs> it is. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, including frying the onions for the top of it. That, like that that is that is truly outstanding. 
it is it is truly outstanding <laughs> it is it is heaven yeah. <laughs> and i could yeah. i could just just put the whole dish of that in front of me and that could be my thanksgiving yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah oh that's great yeah well we are actually coming close to time where we've almost hit the mark exactly um okay. love it um do you have any last thoughts about your haiku process um or about um, how food comes into that. I know you sort of, our, our conversation has in many ways touched on that organically, but if you had any last thoughts, I would love to hear them. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, this is kind of a, a, new, a, a new branch of the tree, if you will, of, of, of content that I'm just still learning how to explore. And, and because you're, you're immersed in this, in this flavor, if you will, and you're, and you put out the call for people to respond to, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And I hadn't really, except for a few prompts here and there, really um, thought about using food in this, in this creative a way. So I, I love it. And I just thank you so much for, for opening this whole corner of the genre for folks to, to write about. So, so many uh, friends on Facebook and other social media, they post these incredible images of food. And I thought, wow, gosh, what would it be like to maybe do a haiga? Mm -hmm. um, not labeling the image as with something that describes or names the foods that are in it, but what else might that wonderful display of whatever it is, what, what else might that evoke? And that's something I haven't really, really explored yet, but um, I'm inspired to now because it, it, food and writing about food touches deeply in so many different ways for us every yes. person right and uh culturally and and in every sense and i think that would be a really interesting thing to explore and to also uh pair with some visuals yeah of something or some things photos or original art whatever but um, yeah I, it was very early when in the pandemic, when things were super locked down um, and we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. Um, I actually, anytime my partner made a really nice meal or made something special, I actually did a haibun about it. Fabulous. Yes. Yeah. And I, I don't think haibun is really my genre ultimately. Um, so it sort of trailed off, but it was, especially since I couldn't, you know, since I had nowhere to go, uh, all my like big trips that year got canceled uh, and everything um, to just write about like the, the food I was eating and the very like the, uh, you know, the ways we were still able to, you know, enjoy even just a really good like BLT uh, mm -hmm. get, when you could you could get bacon in the store after everything had been gutted for two weeks. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I think I, I, I missed my opportunity to, to write haiku about sourdough bread because everybody was making their own bread, you know, <laughs> for the first, I don't know how long in the past. Give it a year. I'm sure you'll come up with a, a new take on sourdough. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, thank you. I have, uh, mm -hmm. I love this conversation and I'm so excited that uh, you're on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Allison. It's just been great. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for being one of my very first long distance podcast guests. I know I've gushed over this, but it was such a fun conversation for me. I'm going to keep this wrap up short and sweet because dinner is just about done. John and his sister are making some pizzas from scratch and everything smells super delicious. 
So just a reminder, August 30th is our community open mic bonus episode. You can record up to two haiku for that. Uh, please send those by 11.59 p.m. Central Time on August 28th. And you can go to the show notes or the blog post to see those guidelines. Please do follow them. It makes everyone's life happier and easier. Our next regular episode comes September 6th, and that's Matt Defebau, uh talking about some uh, food-related tanrenga he wrote with Christina Chin. All right, that just about wraps it up. And remember, you can always buy the project a coffee. And if that's not in your budget, again, one of the best things you can do to support is share the episodes you like. It always means a lot to me when people take the time to um, send episodes to friends, share them on their social media, uh, whatever it is. All right, and with that, I'm going to go enjoy some dinner. I know my dog is ready for me to get off the computer as well. So... Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>